0: Everybody give him some praise this morning he's worthy Amen. what an awesome god we serve nobody like you. let's just slip our hands to heaven this morning and welcome the presence of the lord in this place how many know in the presence of the lord things change amen lord we just want to take this moment and just invite your presence to be so real god lord we want lord not the songs that we sing to not just be songs lord but be glorifying to you God, we pray, Lord, that your presence would come in and be so real and touch lives. Lord, anything that people brought through those doors, God, I pray that in this moment of worship, God, you would change their life. And I thank you for it and give you glory in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. say you you
1: And I sing because
0: to give him some praise this morning amen we welcome your presence here lord oh we welcome your presence
1: here oh god There's no one like our
0: god no one like our god come on somebody tell him in this place this morning no one like our god we worship
1: you lord there's nothing worth more That will ever come close Nothing can compare Your yeah, high leaving you home Your prayer
0: In your presence, Lord. come on sing it all over the house we say holy Spirit
1: holy
0: the heaven as we sing this, we say, Lord, the Holy Spirit. Is-
2: Of praise this morning, is He worthy of our praise? Amen. You may be seated just for a second. We have a baptism. Please state your name and why you're getting baptized today. Channing, Queen, and to get closer with God. Amen. Amen. Are we proud of Channing today? Awesome. Let's just extend a hand. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you that you're a good Father, and God, right now we baptize your Son. In the name of the father the son the holy spirit in jesus name be baptized be filled amen can we give a round of applause church amen
3: Man. i was praying about our services this weekend and and i felt like god gave me this scripture out of jeremiah as a prophetic word for our church in jeremiah 42 the people were asking jeremiah We need direction from the Lord. Pray for us so that we can hear from the Lord what we're to do and where we're to go. And this is what the Lord said to tell you. There are many out there in the congregation that are asking God, Lord, I need direction. I need to hear your voice. And the people responded to Jeremiah, whether we like it or not, we will obey the Lord our God. For if we obey him, everything will turn out well for us. And this is the word of the Lord to you. When you hear what God's telling you to do, you got to have courage to obey it. These people in Jeremiah didn't obey. They did the opposite, and it didn't go so well for them. And we're going to take time in the middle of our worship to bring our prayer team down at the front. And we believe miracles happen when Christians pray together. And I we especially want to pray for those of you that are looking for direction in your life, that are asking God, what are we supposed to do? Give us an answer, and then we're going to pray with you about courage to obey God and follow God, even if it's not what you wanted to hear. If you need a miracle this morning, whether it's physical miracle in your body, in your marriage, in your business, we want to pray with you. So we're going to call our prayer team down front. We're going to continue our worship. We're going to ask everyone to stand back to their feet. And let's believe miracles happen when Christians pray together.
4: Holy
0: That once was crowned with thorns Is crowned with
1: glory now The Savior
0: knelt to wash his feet Now at his feet we bow
1: declare your name o oh god
0: Borrowed for three days, his body there would not remain. Well, sing with me, say, Lord.
2: Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today.
3: In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you
2: plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities.
3: If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe.
2: So glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock.
4: Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. This upcoming Wednesday, August 24th, is our free hamburger meal and life group promotion night where you can come get a free meal and hear all about our Wednesday life groups. <laughs> <Hello>?
3: <laughs> hey,
4: you're fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, you ready?
3: Matthew 2 2, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Matthew chapter 5 verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil one. 1 Corinthians 13.13 And all these three things you need faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. John 3.16 and 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him.
4: Our neighbors in Louisiana are battling horrendous flooding. Over 40,000 homes have been damaged. If you would like to help with the devastation, designate on your offering Louisiana. 100% of the money will go to the flooded communities.
2: Amen. Welcome to Church on the Rock. Are you doing good this morning? Amen. You're looking good. We are glad that you're here. Hey, you just saw it on the video, but we are having our Wednesday night life group promotion this Wednesday night. And what that means is that 515 to right about, what, 6.15, we're going to have a free hamburger meal. So that means everybody here, come Wednesday night from 5.15 to 6.15, you're going to get free hamburgers. It's 6.30 here in the sanctuary. We're going to have prayer like normal. And then at 7 o'clock, all of our new small groups that are going on on Wednesday night. They're going to tell you a little bit about what's going on. So hopefully this Wednesday night you can come out, get some food, and meet some new people. Amen? Amen.
5: Amen. You know, all that information in the back of your chair is going to be brand new starting this Wednesday. So, it'll be a new ministry guide, how to get connected, our classes, small groups. Uh, but tonight, if your name's in that book, that means you signed up a leadership application and you're one of our small group leaders, ministry leaders. Uh, come tonight at 6 o'clock. we got a free meal for you, some prophetic ministry, and we're going to kind of get, uh, kind of have a huddle and kick off and get ready to uh, start the new semester. Amen. Hey, a little update on Imagine More. They were out there last night, boring doing uh, samples of the ground to get the check on the foundation and it's taken a little longer than we thought because to engineer this type of building to wrap around it's just taking a little while but it's coming together so give god glory amen hallelujah continue worship lord with our tithes and offerings and i know you're familiar with this scripture matthew six twenty-one: for where your treasure is there your heart is also but kind of think of that backwards where your heart is that's where your treasure is going to be where your heart is, that's where your money's gonna go. Any of us that have little passions and fun things to do, we can kinda, you know, we kinda have some money for those little things. But Adrian Rogers puts it another way. A faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. And I saw on the back of the screen I want to show some pictures of some people who have their heart in a ministry called Rahab's Retreat. We've had people from our church you have given, you have went down there and painted and remodeled, and this is in the Longview, Kilgore area, and this helps get women out of sex trafficking and just uh, that whole industry, and they're just turning lives around, just getting a fresh start, and so, uh, you know, that's one of the things your money goes to. You know, there was a uh, reading article in Leadership Magazine about a man that was preaching, and one of the elderly ladies, her name was Mary, uh, she had a medical and she passed out and hit her head on the pew and was knocked unconscious. And an EMT was there. He called the ambulance, and they got her on the stretcher and got her towards the back door. She regained consciousness, and she kind of waved for her daughter to come to her. And when her daughter came, she whispered to her, and she said, my offering is in my wallet. And that, just think of that. This lady could have been her last words, but that was on her heart. She just wanted to be a good steward of what God had given her and bless. And I just thank God to be a part of a church. Last week you saw the money you gave to help youth go to camp, lives change. The week before that, the people that went to the Philippines. And so uh, let's continue just to reach out there in our community and the nations. That's what church is all about. Amen. God bless you as you give.
1: power. Alone now and forever. Love, this world could never stop. There is no one like I got reaching down to touch the road. mercy breaking through this moment. Faithfully.
6: The glory is yours. Come on, let's all stand and sing together once
1: again.
6: that clap offering today. He is worthy, come on, he's worthy of all our praise. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. Why don't you tell two or three people you are glad they're here today. And just a reminder, we've got more space on Saturday night and Sunday first service. If you want to come and join one of those services, it would be great. But this is my favorite time of the year, and it's gotten way better now that we're having October weather in August. that <laughs> good? But let me tell you why it's my favorite. It's because the church year kind of kicks off. Summer's over, school's starting. This tonight at six o'clock, all our leaders are gathering here at the church, uh, Wednesday night, and I sure hope you'll come to that. All our small group ministries and activities are going to be on display, so you can figure out, you know, where I connect. Because church, listen, weekends are great. This weekend experience is a, is a strong pillar. It's like a, 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 a stool on a chair, one of the legs. But one of the key things we all need is relationships with other people, and that's what happens in small group, and I hope you'll come on this Wednesday. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. We're doing a series called The Final Chapter, Living in the Last Days. Next week we'll conclude it, and we'll talk about eternity But this morning, I want to continue in the book of Revelation. We're talking about the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Uh, There's a map on the screen behind me. I had a pointer, and I forgot it on the front row there, so I'll I'll illustrate again. This is, of course, Jerusalem down here, Israel, the Mediterranean Sea. And right up here, you've got these seven churches. One of those little islands off to the left. There you go, the Isle of Patmos. That's where... How did I do that? That's an amazing thing. Oh. It did it. Patmos is somewhere in there. Anyway, if, uh, Ephesus and Smyrna, two churches we talked about last week, modern-day Tur- Hey, it's pretty cool. Turkey, uh, Asia, and these are seven churches that John wrote a letter to. When he was exiled, he saw this vision from God and uh he just began to write what God said to him. My sense is that rather than trying to look at the book of Revelation as uh, to predict when the events are going to happen, I'd rather get, be, get ready to know how to live. I would rather get myself focused to see how to live in the last days and where better to look than what Jesus would say to his churches. So my intent this morning is quite simple. As we look at five of these remaining churches, I'm going to encourage you to imitate their virtues and learn from their mistakes. And if we do these things, we'll be what's called a conqueror, or we'll overcome. And that was the message to these churches time and time again, to him who conquers, to him who overcomes. And Jesus gave a great promise. So let's explore it today, this second part. Uh, First, we'll talk about the commendation. Commendation, again, it's those things that the virtues and the practices that they embraced that I can imitate that would please the Lord. We'll talk about three virtues. We'll talk about three commendations, and then we'll look at three rebukes, and I think it'll it'll help us today. Here's the first one. Revelation 2.13, it's for the church in Pergamum. It's called loyalty to Christ. It's quite basic, but here's what the Scripture says. Verse 13, Jesus said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, isn't that an interesting way to describe the city? Texarkana, we're twice as nice. You know, we're that that church on the side of the interstate. We're across the street from Applebee's. (laughs) They're where Satan dwelled. That's a pretty interesting description. But Jesus said this, Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. What did he mean by that? Uh, The idea of Satan's throne, it literally means where Satan is the supreme ruler. Now, how many of know the church is affected by the city in which it lives? In Pergamum, it was a wealthy city, but it was a wicked city, and it was filled with pagan cults. And here's the deal. It was not easy to be a Christian in that environment. Uh, The politics were against you, Christians were in the minority, the religious people were likely against them. Remember last week we studied the church in Philadelphia, and Christ talked about the synagogue of Satan, which were Jews who also did not believe in Christ, and they were persecuting the church. In this particular Pergamum, archaeologists have unearthed the temple to a pagan god of healing, and the logo was a serpent or a snake, representative of Satan. There were also three temples dedicated to three different Roman emperors. Now in their day, Caesar was worshipped as God. That's why Christians would be, become martyrs if they wouldn't say, Caesar is Lord. No, Christians said, Jesus is Lord. So it was a very hard place to be a Christian, and Satan was using pagan culture to make it difficult. But when Jesus said, hold fast, it's a great word of encouragement to us because how many would believe that it seems like it's going to become more difficult to be a Christian in America in the days ahead? If you're a Bible believer, if you hold to biblical truth, our culture is veering away from it. You that are going back to school, particularly you in college, you're going to be belittled many times if you would suggest that you believe in God. If you believe that there's a there's a a creator that is an intelligent designer, the evolutionist of the secular mind will mock you. They'll laugh at you. They'll belittle you in the social sciences, uh, the history classes will revise America's Christian history, and it's almost like Christians are in a minority. And unless you miss this this week, this our president this week signed an, another executive order saying that any, any, any bathroom in any federal building or any federal school or federal institution, that bathroom had to be unisex. The whole transgender issue that became an issue on the Arkansas side, and we the people voted, where our president said, look, anywhere the federal government's involved, you can go to the whatever bathroom you want to. If you're a man, you can go to the women's restroom. A woman, you can go to the man's. Listen, look how that's working out in Target now. There's been numbers of examples where men have gone in women's dressing rooms, say, well, I feel like a woman, taking pictures and doing other kind of things. But the biblical reason that this troubles me is because the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God created us male or female. God doesn't give an individual the right to choose their sex. That's a sign by God at birth but what this is, this is not just some protection for those whose civil rights are being under attack. This is not like the civil rights movement of the, of the 60s. What this is in America today, this is an outright attack against anything Christian in America. It is an outright attack against anything in the basis of Western civilization that bears traditional values, that bears the biblical values upon which our nation was founded, and it's an all-out onslaught against this. Well, how many know Jesus would give us the same commendation? Even though it's hard to stand up for me in America in the days ahead, how many know Jesus is applauding and patting us on the back, just like he did in the city of Pergamum? Now, let's keep going. Uh, verse 19 a second thing, it's very simple but profound. Serving the Lord in a place called Thyatira. Jesus said, I, I know your works. In virtually every church, Jesus said this. And as we learned last week, this doesn't just mean that Jesus knows what you do. You're an usher, you teach a Sunday school class. It means he knows everything about you. He knows what you're doing and what you're not doing. He knows the good and the bad. And how I know mean, that could be good for me or bad for me. But Jesus knows what I'm doing. It goes on to say, though, I know your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. All these are accolades. But here's where we're on focus. But your latter works exceed the first. What that means is this. One translation says, you're doing more now than you did when you first believed. You're doing more now. Jesus said, I'm proud of you. Because as you grow, as you mature as a Christian, your life is having greater influence. Your character is changing. Rather than pulling people with you into sin, you're rescuing people out of sin. Rather than hurting people, you're helping people. Rather than being violent, you're being gentle. You're being kind. Rather than being a voice that stirs up racial strife, you're a voice of healing. You're a peacemaker. And Jesus said, when these things happen, I am proud of you. Well, how many know spiritual maturity and spiritual fruitfulness is what God expects of all of us? In John 15, 8, Jesus said this, When you produce much fruit, you are my what? True disciples. disciples. So Jesus is saying, look, I want you to grow up. Here's the way it works. If the cross is a picture of my belief and faith and trusting of what Christ did... It's as if we're all walking this way. This is what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. They said, "There's God, but we're going this way, and it'll be better." Well, I mean, can say it's not better. But we're going this way, and all of a sudden, something tugs on our heart, and we feel like we, what we feel is we become aware of the God-shaped void in our life, and something makes us stop and turn. All that which used to make us happy and get up but can't wait for the next party, can't wait for the next drug, can't wait for the you know the next relationship. All of a sudden, you're empty, and you look at the cross, and all of a sudden, you say, I need God. Lord, would you forgive me, and I humble myself, and I I ask you to come in my life, and, and I want to follow you. And we start following God, and as we start following God, how many know, we begin to grow spiritually, and our influence becomes larger. But what happens if we didn't grow? There's many Christians that are just like babies in the nursery. I I, I like Facebook for a lot of reasons, one of which, I love to see the pictures of the babies on Facebook. I like kids. I'm waiting for a grandchild. Hint, hint. Um, But anyway, I saw this one, and this mother was just as thrilled as she can be over a baby's poopy diaper. And I'm thinking, girl, look, I didn't want to deal with my own poopy diapers. I really don't want to deal with yours on Facebook but she was just as excited, this little, you know, three-month-old boy. Well, guess what? You expect that of a three-year-old boy, but a three-month-old boy. But how about when that boy gets a little older? Now, look, don't you take my picture. When that child gets a little older, let's say, let's say that child is nine years old. good-looking leg, I know, but I'm going to cover it back up. That child is three years old and still walking around. What did I say? It was three or nine. He's nine years old, and he yells down for breakfast, Mom, I want Cheerios for breakfast, and would you hurry up and come up here and change my diaper? How I many know something's wrong with that? But when that child gets to be 21 years of age... And mama put on his diaper when he went to bed last night. And he's 21. And he yells down, hey, Shirley, would you put onions in my omelet this morning? And would you hurry up and get up here and change my diaper? Because you got to come pick up me and my girlfriend. We're going to the mall. She's going upstairs with an onion and a knife. I don't know what she's going to do when she gets up there. But something is not right. Now, I don't mean the, the, the child that can't control themselves. I'm talking about a person that can grow but doesn't grow. Can I tell you, that is exactly what it's like for the Christian who walks around in their life. Come on now. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Rather than you starting to pray for somebody. <laughs> Teach me the Bible, preacher. Teach me the Bible. Teach me the Bible. Rather than you teaching the Bible for someone. Come on now. Come visit me. I'm I'm quitting the church because the preacher never comes visit me. Why don't you go visit someone? Come on now. But this is what they're being applauded for. They're being applauded because they were growing spiritually. Come on. And their lives were getting better as they walked with God, and they were more fruitful in their service for the Lord. That's for our grandchildren one day, honey. All right. So that's Thyatira serving the Lord. Here's the third one. Uh, Living a pure life. Now, this is simple, but these are things, these were things that that Jesus uh, patted them on the back for. That Jesus said, Good job. Good job because you're loyal when it's hard. Good job because you're growing spiritually and producing fruit. And here's the third one you're living a pure life. Uh, Revelation 3, Scripture says, You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. Now, this is in the middle of a rebuke, but what he's saying is, there's some people here still living right. Now, the book of Revelation is all about pictures and images, and that's why there's so many different interpretations, but it's clear here, these people who've not soiled their garments, they'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, white garments in the Bible symbolized holiness and purity and righteousness, And the less, well, one translation says, those who have lived pure lives as Christians. I mean, in many cases, we can't even tell a Christian from someone in the world by their behavior. How many know we should be different, and not because just I have a Jesus shirt or a Jesus ring or a Jesus necklace. It's our behavior and our attitudes that should be different. Listen in, 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 in the race riots that are being stirred up across America. How many know Christians should stand out as peacemakers, not somebody supplying another rock? I mean, I mean, we're to be different in America. It matters how I live. Jesus applauds things. For example, like dressing modestly. You know, the Bible teaches modest dress. I watched some of the Olympics, and my first thought was, Do these people even have clothes on? But it's normal in America. I can remember when my my wife would go shopping with my first daughter and I'd say, is that the best we can do? She said, listen, hush your mouth. I went to five stores. This is the best that we could find that was out there and everything is skin tight. Come on. It's a pressure in the world. And let me tell you this, girls. If you dress seductively to get a guy, if you dress seductively on Saturday, come on now, For the date, don't think he's doing that, going out with you because he wants to go to church with you on Sunday. And if you catch a guy that way, he's going to want to be kept that way. But modesty is a virtue. You, You don't see it in the world, but how many know we're supposed to live different from the world? Modesty, for example, and again, we're talking about purity in the way we live. If you're at a party and, and, and everybody's drinking, they're drinking beer or whatever, listen, you can drink a beer and not go to, he- not go to hell, but listen, friends, it's going to affect your Christian witness. Now, listen, I've been in the world. I've been worldly. I understand Christians are supposed to be different, not self-righteous, you know, but yet we, we, we stand out. Uh, Christians are, listen, I fully believe that we should be fast-forwarding, come on, the sex scenes that are coming up in the good movie. But are we fast forwarding or are we slow motion? We have, there's a problem with immorality in America today. We're going to talk about that a little later on in the message. But Christians are supposed to be different. See, as I begin to walk with Christ, the vulgar language stops. And all this has to do with purity, all this has to do with Christ. In me as I am going towards the cross, being sanctified, he gives me a choice. He, he causes me to want to do what's right instead of what's wrong. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a good hand today. Here's the scripture before we move on. First Peter 1 15, just as he who called you is holy, that's God, so be holy. Holy be holy in all you do. That's set apart to God. Now those were the first three, those were the accolades. Now let's learn from their mistakes. Here's what they were doing. This is what Jesus rebuked them for. And mind you now, Jesus is giving this letter. And what he did, he gave it to the angel, the angelos, the leader of the church for this church. And here's what Jesus said in uh, this first one. He uh, He was rebuking them because they were embracing false teaching but sexual immorality in the church in Thyatira. Revelation 2, verse 20, Jesus said, I I have this against you because you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Remember in the Old Testament, she married Ahab and she pulled him in a ditch. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, she calls herself a prophetess. In other words, she says that her teachings are an authentic message from God, but how many know they weren't? And here's what she was saying. She's teaching and she's seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. See, now, idols were false gods. We don't have temples where we're doing animal sacrifices and blood sacrifices to, 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 to pagan gods. They were in their day. But here's the picture. You've got this picture of this woman saying, Hey, look, I've got the words of Christ. I know Jesus. I've seen visions. I have revelations. I have a prophecy for you. And it's okay for you to be a little on the frisky side. Now, once again, their city, in their city, it was a pagan culture. And in their pagan culture, they would practice temple prostitution. They would worship idols. And Jezebel was influencing Christians to do the same. You know, God created this idea of sex. I posted a little picture on Facebook the other day. And it was, a, it was of, a, of a wing of a, uh, of a what was that? Silly thing? It was a, like a locust. And it was just incredible. And how it would take more faith to believe that that is a result of some accident, come on, rather than a deliberate designer. And the same thing about human sexuality. God gave, made man biologically and physically different from a woman. He gave us both, you know, places in, in life that brought joy and intimacy. And he designed this thing called sex. It didn't evolve, come on, from two rodents, or it didn't evolve from two amoebas. God created us with these desires, but what he did is he put a fence around it with one door. And he says, I want a man and a woman to walk through that when they commit themselves to one another in in marriage for the rest of their lives. And then God says, I bless that, and I want you to keep other people out of it. Come on now. Don't let anybody else in it, and I don't want you to wander out of it. But, But here's what our world has done. Our world has been trying to knock it down for 50, 60 years, just like the Berlin Wall. I mean, it does everything it can to come against what's moral and right and decent and good. Even our Supreme Court uh, decades ago said the rights of a pornographer are there and they should be protected. Pornography is fine. And then people act on it and they destroy their lives. They end up on the front page of the newspaper. Listen, why in the world do we see professionals, men and women, teachers, pastors, other people in orange jumpsuits on the front page of the newspaper having molested someone that was underage? Now, you do know that there's pressures in America and around the world to reduce this underage idea, come on, to keep it hidden, just keep it going lower. This is perversion, but we live in a nation that pushes against this wall of morality and says, do it, and then when people do it, we can't imagine what happened. This is the pressure that we live in. Again, in the Bible, God blesses the relationship between a married man and woman. But for a single person to go outside of that, it's called fornication. For a married person, it's called adultery. For a non-heterosexual a homosexual to practice, the Bible calls that is sin as well. Now listen, And our church philosophy, is everybody is welcome in our church. But we want to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Come on now. And I don't want anyone on the stage, come on, to be living a... a, a Listen, you wouldn't be here today if I was an open adulterer. Well, why should it be any different from you? You see, this is what was going on. But what was happening in their church is this woman was promoting it, and she was recognized as a teacher, and she probably had the biggest woman's group or the biggest women's class in the church. Are you with me today? That's what was going on, but there's some lessons here. Sadly, she was influencing Christians, and the leaders didn't stop her. The members welcomed her. She was tolerated, which is a key word. Now, let me give you a couple lessons from this. The first lesson is church leadership must protect the sheep from error and immorality. We live in an immoral day, and it is my responsibility, our responsibility, to keep our standards high. Come on now. Listen, none of us are perfect. Every one of us has struggles in this area, but we want to keep our standards biblical rather than our standards worldly. Here's another lesson I need to ask myself. Who is influencing me? Am I following a Jezebel? Am I following the example of God-fearing people who are holy, humble, committed to live the Word of God? Or do I follow people who say what I want to hear? 2 Timothy 4 said this. Scripture says, A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound teaching. They'll follow their own desires, and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever whatever their itching ears want to hear. And I'm telling you, friends, it's out there today. You can find churches that practice and believe things that are against the Bible. You can find churches that believe things and practice and teach things and have leaders that uh, that are not conforming to biblical qualifications. Can I tell you, friends, just because that's out there doesn't mean I should follow it. See, here's one of the greatest delusions, I think, in the modern-day church is the modern-day church says, we want to love all people. And what that means is you can come doing any and everything you want to do, and we're going to accept you just like you are. Well, listen, Jesus takes me just as I am, but he turns me around, and he makes me the way that he wants me to be. I want to be a part of a church that loves people the way they are but tells them, "Come on!" I don't want to be a church that says, that says you can do whatever you want to and it doesn't matter. Can I tell you, friends, it does matter. Listen, It does matter. Listen to what else God said to this woman Jezebel. God told her, uh, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her immorality. I'm gonna God's saying this, I'm going to throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I'm going to throw into great tribulation unless they do what? Repent. Repent of their works. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a good praise this morning. Yeah. So let's do, two th- let's do what the Bible says. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's care about everybody. Let's have high biblical standards. And if somebody falls, come on, let's be honest enough to admit it, But then let's restore people in a spirit of humility. Come on, because how many know we're all sinners saved by grace? Revelation chapter 3. Here's another one. Backslidden in Sardis. Backslidden is a common term. Jesus once again says, I know your works. Punch your neighbor and says, Jesus knows all about you. Just a little bit, not too hard. Here's what he said. Jesus said, you have the reputation of being alive. But you're dead. Now, why would Jesus be writing a letter to a bunch of dead people? Symbolic language again. They're spiritually dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Jesus said, I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember what you've received and heard and repent. Because if you will not wake up, Jesus said, I'm coming like a thief and you'll not know at one hour I am coming against you. And I don't think he's coming to play a game of cards when he comes. Are you with me today? I don't know what that means, but it can't be good. So here's the message here. One translation says, I know you seem to be spiritually alive, but you're really dead. You seem to be faithful believers in me, but in reality, you don't follow me anymore you got a Bible in the truck, you bring it in church when you walk in, but when you're done, you put it under the seat, and you won't need it again until next Sunday. It's just a picture of a place where perhaps you've been and I've been, where my heart grows cool to God. And rather than getting right with God, I continue in the charade. Matthew 23, Jesus called them Pharisees, outwardly religious but inwardly far from God, How many know it's the heart that matters? Jesus is not concerned about our rule book. Come on. That's why he wants us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Verse 27, Jesus said, Hypocrites, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus told them to wake up, Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Another translation says, "Start living as Christians. Start living as followers of Me again, and restore your relationship." How many could have slept in a little longer this morning here? Ooh, I could have too. Well, my I got up about five, and when my I got up at five, I thought I looked out, the sun was not up. I thought I ain't getting up yet. But the problem is, I went back in another sleep cycle. And then when my alarm went off, I thought, I don't want to get up. I told my wife, I don't want to go to church. And she said, you have to. You're the preacher. Get out of bed. I didn't say I didn't want to go to church. But what I said was, I don't want to get out of bed. Well, how many know if you have that attitude tomorrow morning and Tuesday and Wednesday, you're probably going to be fired? There's something about wake up. Get out of bed, sleepy head. And could I say that to you? Listen, I'm not your judge. I have been there in the past as a Christian. I hope nobody's there. But if for some if for some reason, if your heart has grown cold to God and you're just going through the motions, you need to wake up. You need to stir yourself. Because Jesus is watching. Listen, I don't think this is a heaven or hell issue, but you're going to lose your place in the kingdom, friend. You're going to lose your ability of influence. You're going to be sucked down this drain. Come on, and get caught. Tell your neighbor he's preaching better than we're amening this morning. It was backslidden in Sardis. Let me give you another one here. We're going to wrap up with this one. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 15, the church in Laodicea. Now, this is the one that's about hot and cold. And I have struggled with this passage all my life, and I think I have some clarity for you. But I believe what the issue was here is they were an ineffective witness for Christ. Now, I mean, we always interpret the Bible in context. And if you went back a verse or two, what you would see the way Jesus introduced himself to this church was very key. He said, I am the faithful and true witness. And by implication... You're not a faithful witness for me. Let me tell you why. Revelation 3.15, Jesus said, I know your works. I know all about you. You're neither cold nor hot. Now, I was taught early on that to be hot meant that you're spiritually on fire, which is good. And cold means is, is a symbol for never even being saved. I don't think Jesus would say, I wish you were cold or hot. It's just not consistent. In their day, there were hot, in the adjoining town, Heropolis, had hot water, just like hot springs. How many know hot water is therapeutic? I've got a little foot massager thing, and you put hot water in it and some Epsom salt, and you turn it on, and it just, boy, it just goes. But I only like it about 15 minutes because the water gets warm, and I go pour it out. The cold water in an adjoining city, Colossae, it was fresh, it was life giving. How many know when you're working out and if this temperature gets back up to 90 and 100 degrees, you're hot and sweaty, how many know what you want is an ice-cold Gatorade? Come on. You you don't want lukewarm. You'll drink lukewarm for survival, but when you put lukewarm water in your mouth, you want to spit it out. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's pretty serious. In their city, this lukewarm water made people nauseous. Jesus said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, again, Laodicea was a wealthy city. And it was so wealthy, an earthquake destroyed the city. Historians tell us, archaeologists tell us, the city was destroyed. But they didn't even ask the Roman Empire, uh, the the capital of Rome, they didn't even ask for money because they had plenty of money to rebuild. They were wealthy people. The Christians were wealthy. But the Christians, listen now, wrongly assume that just because I'm prospering means God is happy with me. That's no more true than, than, than God's happy with poor people. How many know whether you're rich or poor, the issue is our hearts? Verse 17, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. But Jesus said, you're blind. You don't even realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus said, those whom I love, I reprove, reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now, they thought they were right with God but they weren't. Let me see if I can explain this. James 4.4. James said this, You're not loyal to God because you should know that loving the world is the same as hating God. Anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes God's enemy. Here's where I suggest to you this passage has relevance. Remember Jesus said He is the faithful and true witness. But these guys were said to be lukewarm. Now, the definition of lukewarm, it means, and I looked in some of the original language on this one, it's not just like tea. How many know we like hot tea or iced tea, but rarely lukewarm tea? Both of these symbols of hot and cold were good. Lukewarm means indifferent, ineffective, and impotent. Indifferent, ineffective, and impotent regarding their Christian witness. They had lost their voice in the culture. They went along with the city instead of being light and darkness. To stay listen, how many know it's pretty hard once you have riches to get to let go of? Them? It's hard to give it, it's hard. I mean, it's just hard. It it defines your life. If you're used to a new vehicle, it's hard to go back to an old one. If you're used to a big house, it's hard to go to a small. I mean, we just get used to it. Well, don't you know if these Christians were prospering in that pagan city, more than likely they were prospering by some unethical means. More than likely, bribery was going on. More than likely, stealing was going on. More than likely, embezzling was going on. Well, if you got rich doing those things and you become a Christian, come on now. If you get excluded from the group, you're not going to get any more contracts. So to keep the contract going, you have to become like the world. You have to turn your head and you have to turn your back. You have to not make any waves. Because if you make waves... You're going to be kicked out of the end circle. That's what's happening in our politics right now. That's why they hate Donald Trump. Because he's not an establishment guy. He's an outsider. And everything is aligned against him. This has nothing to do with the message. But I wouldn't believe 90% of what I heard or read in the traditional media. But... These guys were not influencing their city. Jesus was the true and faithful witness. I would suggest to you their lukewarmness implied that they never offended anyone. There was never any angst towards them because of their stand for Christ. They were nice Christians. Their church was, a, was, a, was, a, was a respectable. It was sentimental. It was skin deep. You would never be offended if you went in the walls of their church. I think this is the great problem in church Christianity in America today. His churches are having to decide, do I really believe the Bible? Do I hold to the teachings of the Bible? Do I believe what God's Word says about whatever the case may be? Morality? Do I believe what it says about ethics? Lying? Come on now. Listen, you read article after article about Mrs. Clinton and her lies and why people still support her and believe in her because lying doesn't matter anymore. Please don't put me in a political box by having said that. I'm just telling you... Come forth. Shoot, it's got ever-ready batteries. It's still working. But I think this is the great, great issue in the modern church of America today. For, for, for professing Christians, I think, I think the line is pushing against us. Bathrooms, who can get married. Come on now. And the culture is saying, you better embrace it. If you don't, we'll take your tax exemption. If you don't, we'll put you in jail. If you post on, about Facebook on traditional marriage, you could lose your job. You shut your mouth. If you're a professional athlete or a sportscaster and you don't come out on the politically correct side, we're getting rid of you. And even because the Bible says it, we want nothing to do with that. Can I tell you, friend, Jesus didn't light my candle for me to put it under a basket. He lit my candle so my candle could provide light to the world. You say, why would you do? Why would you want to say something that would be offensive? Because, friends, we're trying to populate heaven, and they are blinded by the world. They're being pulled away from the cross. They're being told they matter. They're being told, listen, idolatry is okay. You can be, You can make up your own rules in life. There is no God. There is no judgment day. There is no accountability. You can take that baby's life at will. Just because you forgot to use a condom, we'll get you a morning after pill. Don't worry about any of that morality and religion telling you friend the world is pulling that way Christians come on need to stand yes. against the tides of the current lest we become lukewarm and Jesus spits us out of his mouth he was the faithful and true witness i want to close with a little video clip it's from the movie god's not dead 2 here's the scene there's a woman she's a teacher in a public school setting i think it's probably a college i hadn't seen the movie but she's teaching about nonviolent transformation of society. She's talked about Mahatma Gandhi, she's talked about Martin Luther King, and a student asks a question about Jesus. And she wasn't trying to convert them, but she simply told them she answered their question and somebody reported her to the authorities. Come on, that sounds like communism to me. it sounds like it sounds like this the, the, the world system she reported them and that's where this little clip picks up because there's a hatred of anything of Christ And now she has a decision. take a peek. call of order. I assume, Ms. Wesley understands, that this board has
5: the power to recommend any number of disciplinary actions, up to and including termination. She does.
4: And this board should be aware that in the event of such termination, which we would view as both wrongful and without cause, she reserves all rights of redress. I may have a solution. There might be a way around all of this
1: unpleasantness that would satisfy all parties. A disciplinary notice in Ms. Wesley's file, stating the school board's objections to her behavior, a response from Ms. Wesley, confessing the inappropriateness of and apologizing for her actions, along with a pledge not to engage in similar discussion of Jesus in the future.
2: I'm confident
4: that we can move forward on that basis. No. Grace. I'd like to request a brief recess to have a word with my client. Excuse me. Wait. Grace, this is exactly what we we're hoping for. I mean, this is the part where you say you're sorry, thank your lawyer, go back to your classroom, pick up your life, and move on. I can't do that. Why?
6: I gave an honest answer to a student's legitimate question in history.
4: Grace. Grace, you don't want to do this. It's the wrong decision.
6: Is it?
3: I I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. I am not going to be afraid to say the name Jesus.
6: could be around the corner for someone in this room today, for all of us, for a preacher like me. You know what that lawyer told her? Be lukewarm and don't rock the boat. How many can say, I think I'll be hot or cold? Come on, because I want Jesus to say, well done for me. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'm going to close as you're standing. The promise to those who conquer you know that word that we heard throughout this passage, to him who overcomes, to him who conquers. How many know we've got to conquer a lot of things as Christians? In this case, you've got to conquer the culture. You've got, to, you've got to, in a sense, stand up and let your light shine. But here's what Jesus said to the church in Sardis. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. Come on. The righteousness of God in Christ. And Jesus said, I will never blot your name out of the book of life. That's eternity. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Now, look, that's the promise to the overcomer. I don't know about you, but one day, listen, life on this earth is pretty short. Listen, those churches, every person that was alive in that church era when this was written have been dead for about 1,900 years. It seems like every day seems long, but the years are short one day you're going to be standing before God. One day, come on now Christian, one day God the Father will have Jesus the Son say this is my son John. And as we learn from these churches today, he stayed loyal to me when it was hard. He chose the path of purity rather than where the Painted garments of the world. This is my son John. He chose to do what was right when everybody else was doing wrong. And as I watched his life, Father, he served me more and more and more. He was more fruitful and more influential as he walked through his life. It's my servant John. He didn't follow Jezebel, he didn't follow the immorality of the world. But he walked into the place of purity, and he stayed there with his wife all his days. This is my servant, John. He went through days of difficulty where his faith was not what he wanted it to be, where his heart grew cold. But he woke up. He didn't stay there. He got out of where he was. My friend, if you're in that trap, I suggest to you, you're like a bug caught in a spider web. Some of the people in your life are keeping you backslidden. Some of the music you're listening to, come on, needs to be changed. If you would just turn off whatever you're listening to and turn K-Love on, that might help. There's people that are calling you up, and they're not saying, let's go to Bible study. They're not going to call you up Wednesday and say, uh, hey, come on, let's go, let's go to the church and get a free burger, and let's, uh, let's, uh, let's go see what all's going on where we can get involved this summer. That's not what they're saying. They said... Hey, man, I got to work early today. I got to, whatever it is now, a 20-pack or 30-pack, whatever it is, come on over to the house. You might have to, when you see their number, not answer their call for a little while until you're able to say, no, I'm not going over there. You know what I'm going to do? I want you to come to church with me. I'm going to get a burger, and it's on me. Come on. If you don't like it, I'll get you one later. Come on over. That's my son, John. He didn't stay backslidden. That's my son, John. When the pressure of the world Pushed him to be lukewarm. He chose to be hot or cold. And he made some sacrifices for the kingdom. But here he is. And for all eternity, come on. He's going to bear our name. And we're going to honor him. That's what I want my Father in heaven to say on that great day. How about you? How about you? We're going to close in prayer this way today. In just a moment, our prayer team is going to come to the front. They'll sing one song, and I ask you to stay here during that because people are being torn now about making steps to God. Give them a chance to come up. They're going to pray. We'll pray about anything, but I can virtually guarantee you something in this message has touched the heart of dozens of people in this room today. Some of you are kind of in the middle and you're pulled both ways and you want to go God's way. Can I tell you, friend, the easiest step to take to start with is step out of your chair and simply come to someone and say, pray for me. I'm caught in the trap of immorality. Pray for me. It's hard for me to be loyal to God. It's hard for me to be faithful to my wife. Pray for me. That's a step that will change your life. The most important step some of you in this room will take today is a step to Jesus Christ to be saved. Listen, friends, you don't get saved by doing good things and by doing good works. What makes you a Christian is that you've received Christ as your Savior. And maybe you're where I was as a boy, 19 years of age, following headlong after the world, but all of a sudden, I began to become aware my heart was not happy anymore. The girls I went out with, the beer that I drank, all the things that I did, it just didn't make me happy like it used to. And something caused me to turn my head, and my head was turned to the Christ on the cross. And I asked Christ to come in my life and save me and give me a brand new start. And Jesus changed me. And if that's you today, and if you say, Pastor, that's what I need today, I'm ready to start following God. I need His forgiveness. I want to commit my life to Him. When we start to sing and they begin to play, I'm going to encourage you to just come and meet a friend over at the cross. And they want to pray for you as you make the greatest decision of your life committing yourself to Christ. Just go ahead and begin to play, Pastor Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front. This is your time to have a moment and an encounter with God. Come on up to the front prayer team, and as they're coming, let me encourage you. If you need to make some step to God, if you need prayer, come let us pray for you. It could be about anything, but most importantly, you whose hearts are tugging you to come to Christ to get saved meet us at the cross. It'll be a forever change. I love you very much. Thank you for coming today.
1: Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another.
0: And oh God, let us
1: speak, a generation that sees, seek your face, oh God of Jacob, and oh God, let us be a generation that sees, a your face, oh God of Saker.
0: Hey, we're going to continue to worship through that song just a few times, and the prayer team is going to remain. Hey, but before you go this morning, I want to remind you that Wednesday night, we're introducing the Wednesday night live groups, and we're going to have a free hamburger meal. We'd love to have you, but hey, you're free to be dismissed. We love you. God bless you. Can't wait to see you next week. Give us clean hands, but give us pure hearts.
1: Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands.